0: Hey, you know what, we're back for week three, third installment of a series that we started just a few weeks ago, a series about the early church, a series based out of the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. And the reason that we're going back and and studying what they did in the early church in the very first New Testament church, I'm talking like the church that started about a month after Jesus' ascension back into heaven, about 60, 70 days maybe. Maybe. It's where we are after the crucifixion right now today and what we're going to talk about. All this stuff was going down just almost instantly after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and then His ascension into heaven 40 days later. We're in the very beginnings of the New Testament church because I think the New Testament church at that time has a lot in common with where we, Elevation Church, are right now today. I think there's a lot of things that we should and can learn and must apply things that they did, how they did it, why they did it. These are things we need to know and we need to emulate. And the reason for this is is simple. Like everything has an origin and the origin is usually the prototype for every iteration of whatever that thing is, every generation of whatever that thing is moving forward. I was reminded of this yesterday. I was out at my mom and dad's place. Mom and dad um, are retired and uh, built a house recently. and Dad's had a, a workshop on this little four-acre property they've had for several years, and he's got a dream that this workshop is one side of it's going to be his woodworking shop, and the other side is going to be his automotive shop. And in the automotive shop side, um, he has a 1936 Ford five-window coupe. Now, those of you who are car people know what that means. Those of you who aren't, it's just an old car. All right, just roll with me. It's an old car. It's a really old car, and it looks like a really old car. Dad bought this when I was 13. My older brother was 16. It was supposed to be a father-son project while we were in high school. Been out for a while. Car's not done. All right, so you all know how that's working out, but that's not where we're going today. I was reminded when I saw that 36 Ford last night, I was reminded of something really cool because I just did something I've never done before in my life just about two weeks ago. I went and bought a brand new vehicle. I've never owned a new vehicle ever in my life. I always bought used because, frankly, it just makes more financial sense to buy used, just being honest with you guys. But I, So I've never owned a, a new vehicle, and my old truck, I was happy to drive it for a lot longer. Like, I really wanted to drive it. I've driven most of my vehicles to 200,000 miles. But it started having some mechanicals. It was going to cost a lot more to fix than the truck was, was going to be where the, it was worth. And so I have a friend who's a in the car business, and he's a new car sales manager. I called him up and said, hey, buddy, I want to buy a used F-150. You're too old, you know, 25,000, 30,000 miles or less. Gave him kind of the criteria. He called me back and said, hey, um, I can probably get you a better deal on a new one than you can get on one with, you know, 30,000 miles. I was like, really? He goes, well, I mean, you're going to pay more, but you're also going to get zero miles and those miles are worth something so anyway we work out this whole big deal and I bought my first ever brand new vehicle and I'm really excited about it And it's full of technology it has stuff that my my 06 just seven years ago like it's trash I wouldn't dare I mean oh my god no I'm joking it was awesome I loved my 06 but this new one this 13 model it's like crazy stuff cool technology And so I'm reminded last night, looking at a 1936 Ford, about my 2013 Ford, and how far vehicles have come in the last 80 years. And frankly, in 1936, they were shocked at how far vehicles had come in the last 30 years. But the thing that I thought about last night that I think is so applicable today is my 2013 Ford truck, has some of the very same basic things that those 06, like 1906 cars had. It's got four wheels. It's got a frame. It's got seats, steering wheel, a throttle, a brake, an engine, a transmission, gearing. It was just the prototype that led to the 2013 with all the bells, whistles, and cool stuff, and if you didn't think about it, you would think that they were—I mean—could hardly be related. But all it is is just so many generations, so many iterations of that product evolving and changing and growing and improving. And in some ways, I think there's a lot of us who would say, "Hey, we could go back to some of those simpler times and get rid of some of these bells and whistles because those are the first things that break, right? Those are the first things that cost you a small fortune." And I think as the church, we're 2,000 years removed from Acts 2. 2,000 years removed. What bells and whistles have we added? How have we changed? How has the church become something new and different and almost unrecognizable? But how has it also stayed the same and kept the prototype of the Acts 2 church? That's where we are today. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. One of my favorite passages in Scripture because it is so, it's such a great descriptive passage of Scripture. This passage, Acts 2 42 to 47, describes in just a few sentences so much of what the early church was, so much of what the early church did, and a lot about why they did what they did. So it's very descriptive, but I believe it is also very prescriptive. I believe this passage lays the groundwork, it's the underpinnings, it's the prototype for what the church is and always will be. 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years from now. This is what the church, these are the things the church should and must be and do. All found here in this descriptive and prescriptive passage, Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. So let's get into the Scriptures today. Let's read What is recorded here? In verse 42, they, the church, the believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's my favorite line. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved saved man that's what makes my heart beat in our world today adding to the kingdom of god adding to the family bringing people into a relationship with him and this is how the early church did it right here in these few sentences this is what they did how they did it and why they did it and i think there's so much that we can learn today because i'll be honest with you there aren't many churches local bodies of christ meeting this Sunday morning, who can say that the Lord has added to their number daily those who are being saved. I think there's a lot we can learn from the early church. So let's let's grab some key phrases out of this passage. Just grab a few key phrases and see from these few key phrases in the time that we have together today, what we can take and apply in our lives, in the life of Elevation Church, in our community, in our families, and see what God will do as we do that. The first phrase I want us to capture is in verse 44. In verse 44 it says, All of the believers were together. All the believers were together. This phrase describes what the church is. More importantly, who the church is. It's the believers. I've said this before, I'm going to say it again, but I'm going to say it right now. This building is not Elevation Church. This building is Studio B. More importantly, it's it's the center. Studio B leases this space. We sublease this space from them. We meet in here on Sunday mornings from 10 to 11, 15, but these walls do not contain Elevation Church. Well, actually, they do contain Elevation Church, but they are not Elevation Church. They contain it because you are Elevation Church. I am, you are, we together, the believers in Christ, We are the church. This is the believers. And I want to just kind of tack on to that word believers because what we might think is that it just means that you just have to believe that Jesus is is God and then you're you're good, you're saved, you're part of His church. I want to challenge your thinking if that's where you are this morning. Because when they say the believers, I believe what they're assuming is is a few other things like these are people who not only believe that Jesus is Lord, They'd only, they don't just believe, though, that Jesus is Lord. They've also acted on their beliefs. They've done something with that. And the thing that they've done is they've submitted their lives to Christ. They've placed themselves under his leadership, under his lordship. They've submitted their will to his because they believe that he is God, because they believe that he does what he says he will do, forgive them of their sins, and that he is who he says that he is, God's Son, God incarnate, God with us and so the believers the church is made up of of christians some people are afraid to use that word today because it has like a negative connotation i'm not sure how or why i had a negative connotation of it when i was not a, a believer in christ when i wasn't a christian but, but I, I don't see why that negative connotation is there today and so i just i i mean we say christ follower follower of jesus we made up you know it's okay to say you're a christian These were the early Christians. We're Christians, you know, today who submit our lives to Christ and follow Him. If you're a Christian, be proud you're a Christian. It's okay to still say you're a Christ follower, follower of Jesus, whatever. Just don't be afraid of the word Christian. No reason. We got nothing to hide, nothing to be ashamed of. We got everything in the world to be excited and proud of and to share with the world around us. So these early Christians made up the first church. Christians in this room this morning, those who have submitted their lives to Christ, we are the church we're not here to exclude those who have not made that decision. We're here to offer them the opportunity to know Jesus on a personal level. So if you're here this morning and that's you, you're checking out the claims of Christ, you're checking out who and what the church is, we're glad you're here. And everything that we're saying and doing, the music we're playing, everything that we can control, we've, we've put into place and into motion with you in mind. Now, the things that we can't control, like the stack of lumber in the back of the room and the fact that the stage was torn down and barely rebuilt in time for Sunday morning, we didn't do that with you in mind, but we're glad that the stage at least got rebuilt, right? I mean, we're a dirty church around here. That's the phrase I like to use. I don't mean like triple X dirty. I mean like dirt under our nails, muddy, bloody, down in the ditch, nitty-gritty, in the yuck and funk and muck of people's lives because that's where Jesus is. And so I'm not worried about did we get all the pretty stuff and the stage ain't painted and there's a stack of lumber back there? What I'm worried about is the condition of everybody's heart that's sitting in here. And so we've prepared for you this morning and God, I believe, has a message for you and you're not here by accident. So the church are the Christians, the followers of Jesus, those who have submitted their lives to Him. Verse 46 has another key phrase that I want us to capture this morning. Verse 46 says... Every day, underline that in your Bible. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. In some translations, it says, they met in the temple courts and from house to house. In the temple courts and from house to house. If that's not in your translation, write that in there too. House to house. Because I think that's the greatest word picture Of that phase or that part of what the church is and how the church does what the church does the meeting together in the temple courts is corporate worship it's coming together as the full body or the larger body of Christ meeting together getting shoulder to shoulder worshiping him being taught his word praising God and doing it in the presence of others and just loving it celebrating together being together as the body that's the temple courts. House to house. That shows the portability of the church. I think the portability of the church, the portability of the gospel is one of the key aspects of the Christian faith. See, it's not about making the lost world come to us or come to God's house where, where only, you can only meet Him here. God doesn't work that way. See, God didn't tell us we got to get clean and then come to Him. God came to us to make us clean so that we can be in His presence, so He can be in our presence. I love that. And so, it's not about bringing people here. This is a great place to bring people, and I pray that you will all continue to invite people into the church, into a relationship with Christ. But the portability of the church is crucial, meeting together not only in the temple courts, but in smaller groups, house to house, Taking the church to the streets, to the community, to the neighborhoods. Meeting people where they are. Jesus was a master at meeting people where they are. Not just physically, but relationally and spiritually and in every other way. Church needs to meet in the temple courts and gather for corporate worship. We need to meet from house to house. We meet in Studio B, as I said a moment ago. This is our temple courts. This is our corporate worship gathering. It's where we come together as the body, the local church. It's where we celebrate all that God, as Jim said a minute ago, all that God is doing, has done, and has yet to do. It's a place where we worship God together, and it's a place where we begin to experience a really key thing here, something that's described in this passage. We begin to experience it in this corporate gathering, and that is fellowship. This whole passage is called the fellowship of the believers. It's the fellowship of the Christians, of the church, the fellowship. Let's talk for a moment about fellowship. What in the world is it? Like, we know there are churches who have fellowship halls, right? It's where they get together and they have, you know, pancake breakfasts and spaghetti dinners and stuff like that. We talk about fellowshipping together, but what does it mean? to to, to, Why do we even talk about what's this word fellowship? You know what? Fellowship is important. It's a part of the early church because we are all hardwired, designed by God with a desire to fellowship with one another. Fellowship is about relational connections, it's about moving into a personal, sometimes an intimate relationship with somebody. By intimate, you know, I don't mean like, you know, intimate, sexual, I mean just personal, heart to heart. Real, authentic, loving, open, honest relationship. We all desire that. Every single one of us. How do I know? Because in Genesis, in Genesis, Adam and Eve walked in the garden with God. Or more appropriately, God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. He created Adam and Eve to have a relationship with Him, to be in fellowship with Him. Then Adam and Eve sinned. They committed the original sin. We can all blame them. They dropped the ball. It's not our fault. We were born into it. That was funny. You'll laugh later. Thank you. On cue. Jim, make a note. We need cue cards. I'm not funny, so they need cue cards to know when I'm being funny and laugh. All right. They sinned. They broke fellowship with God. When they crossed that line and did what He told them not to do, they broke fellowship. God could not be, He could not welcome them into His holy presence in their sinful condition. And so they were sent out of the garden and they went and did what God told them to do, go and populate the earth, and they began to have fellowship with mankind, with one another. And so we're hardwired, we're designed for fellowship, we're designed to have Fellowship with God, and we're designed to have fellowship with each other. We desire it. You want it. I want it. We all want it. And the church is God's designed place for us to experience fellowship. That's where He planned for fellowship to take place. So we begin to experience fellowship when we come together for corporate worship. This is our shoulder-to-shoulder opportunity. You're probably not going to get much past, Hi, how you doing? My name is. Great to see you again this week. Hey, glad your kids are doing well. You're not going to get much past that kind of relational connectivity in this gathering. I know that. You probably have already figured that out or knew that coming in. Why? Because it's a bigger group. And you're not going to go out on that relational limb very easily in a large group of people. It's not comfortable. I know. I've gone out on it a few times from up here on this platform. I've shared some very personal things about my own life. I get it. It isn't comfortable. It's okay. Because God did not design this aspect of the church to completely meet and fulfill your desire for fellowship. He gave us other avenues and opportunities within the church to take fellowship to new levels, to move from shoulder to shoulder to -to face-to-face or hand-to-hand, opportunities that are pointed out in these, these verses, this passage here. Let's look at verses 44 and 45. Verses 44 and 45, all the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Sounds very communal. Really messes up our American ideals, doesn't it? It's all about me, what I produced, what I earned, I worked hard. All of those are great things. I'm a die-hard patriot. And frankly, I think the American dream is, is alive and well. It's just been twisted and turned into a nightmare in a lot of ways. We become self-reliant and independent even of God and, and think we can do it all on our own and we can't. But this early church was a very communal group of people. Why? Well, I shared last week they were the, uh, the, the believers, the, the Jews from all over the world would, would come to Jerusalem for this pilgrimage for the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost. And so this early church is breaking out. Remember, they, they, Peter had just preached at Pentecost. They had just had the, the fire fall down on them, like you know, the tongues and the speaking foreign languages and preaching and just all of this stuff. And, and so all of these people are in Jerusalem from all around the world, literally. And the early church, thousands became followers on the first day. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so there's people from everywhere and and. They've left all their stuff. They only came for a visit. And so in the early church, there were people who were in that early church who stayed in Jerusalem, never went back home because they wanted to be with their fellow believers, their brothers and sisters. And so they sold everything they had in common. They, they, they took care of these people. They, they figured out a way to make it work as a family. The church is a family. And they were a very familial A group of people back then, they just started meeting each other's needs and serving and sacrificing for each other, selling their possessions to provide food and shelter for those who needed it. I know it it sounds crazy for us today, but you know what? We still as a church, in a lot of ways in the modern church today, we still do this. This prototype is still, still working. We serve and sacrifice in some meaningful ways around here. Thinking about it, a couple, I don't know, a month ago or less, we had a garage sale. About two-thirds of the people who are in the room donated something to the garage sale. You may have thought it was your junk, your mess, your stuff. You were glad to get rid of it. I don't know. Some of you, it may have been sacrificial. You may have given away some stuff that you could have kept and would have preferred to keep. But you saw a need. See, our students are going on a mission trip in June. And we were raising money for the mission trip. And you saw an opportunity to sacrifice and to serve and to give to somebody who had a need and to provide for ministry to happen. And so you donated your stuff and we sold it. And Thank you. Because it paved the way. We, we, we literally paid the fee for like six or seven students to go. It helped us pay for the suburbans we have to rent and the gas we got to put in it and the food we got to buy and all the things we've got to go to. It's an expensive trip. And there's some parents out there who are super grateful that you guys donated. Some of you gave of your time, your blood, your sweat, your energy, and you don't even have a dog in the hunt. Your kids aren't even going. You don't even have a kid that's old enough to go. And you were there serving, working, sweating, donating, giving, we serve at Breaking Bread every month, the fourth Saturday, which, by the way, is next Saturday, this coming Saturday. We go to Denton and we serve people who are homeless or are just hurting and hungry and may not have the, the means to feed themselves. And we sweep in there once a month. It's not like we're Superman. There's no Red S you know on our chest or a cape coming out of our backs or anything. But we go in there and we provide for them probably the best meal most of, most of them will eat that week. Hot Fresh, nutritious, good, and beyond that, better than that, we serve them love, the love of Jesus. We share it with them as openly, as, as boldly, as vividly, as frequently as we possibly can. And we've actually seen people come to a faith decision sitting there in, in that little room that we meet in for breaking bread. We'll serve between 120 to as much as 200 uh, people on any given Saturday that we're out there. Some of y'all have given a lot of time to that. That's a Saturday a month from 10 in the morning to about 2.30 in the afternoon. That's four and a half hours every month. Some of you have been doing this with us for over a year, almost without fail. I'd say that's a pretty dirty church. That's a get down on your knees and let's get muddy and bloody down in a ditch... And let's serve the people who need it. We're great around here, I think, at serving. There's a lot of people who serve the church in the church. Richard was in here this morning sweating his tail off. Y'all don't know this. They had a leak in the hallway, a roof leak, flooded out almost every one of the rooms up that hallway. They've had fans in here. It was when it rained last Wednesday and we had the crazy storms. They've had fans in here. They've been turning the heater on at night, trying to dry this building out. I think it may be part of the reason why the stage got ripped out this week and, and done. I think that was already in the works. But, but anyway, they had the heaters on. When we got here this morning, it was like 85 degrees in the building. Richard was the first one here. He's in here sweating, there's sweat running down his face. He's in here moving furniture and stuff around. Richard's not the only one. There's several people who show up here. We start church at, at 10 o'clock. There's people who show up here at 8 o'clock to get everything set up, to put out the chairs, to get all the stuff on the stage, to move everything out of our... We have a storage room back here. We've got to get it out into the classrooms. Get it, we sanitize every toy that every kid plays with every week. So we, I mean, we have kids coming in that are 9 and 10 years old, 7 and 8 years old, coming in and serving, cleaning up the toys so that the toddlers and preschoolers can play safely. There's people in here sweeping, vacuuming, and mopping, cleaning bathrooms, um, setting up all of the trees. You'd be amazed how long it takes to set out a whole lot of trees and make them look like something other than just a crazy Sherwood Forest-looking thing up here. There's a lot of people doing a lot of work who are serving in a lot of ways. We're a church that serves. Serving is where Elevation Church moves from shoulder to shoulder and gets a little bit more on that face-to-face level. So we have a couple hours in here on Sunday mornings to talk and get to know each other. We usually get done 15, 20, sometimes 30 minutes early. Great opportunity to hang out and visit, to talk with each other, get to know each other on a more personal level. That's where we get hand-to-hand in, in helping each other out, meeting needs, whether they're financial needs or physical needs or relational or spiritual needs. Somebody here in this church has a death in their family or ends up in the hospital or has a birth. We're there, man. We're serving dinners. we got dinners delivered for weeks sometimes. There was a family in Highland Village I found out about through another church, a friend of mine who pastors a church in Wiley. This lady has brain cancer. She's about most of our age, has children, the ages of most of our children. I found out she actually passed away uh, Saturday morning. But in January and February, Elevation Church was taking meals to her, somebody we don't even know. Just a person in our, you know, geographical community. And a couple times a week, meals were being delivered. We're a very good, very giving, very serving church. And there's opportunities for every one of us to get involved in serving and move from shoulder-to-shoulder fellowship into face-to-face and hand-to-hand opportunities to connect relationally with each other and also with God and to grow through those connections. Serving. We also have other opportunities beyond the large group, beyond the intermediate. We have opportunities to get past those and move into deeper, more meaningful connections, more personal fellowship. Fellowship is found in that large group gathering. It's found in that intermediate gathering of serving. It's also found in the smaller gatherings, the meetings from house to house. Real, authentic biblical fellowship is truly found in those kinds of opportunities of smaller relational connections. This is where God radically transformed my life In Trina's. We got involved in a, in a small group, and my wife had to drag me, I'm not lying, y'all, kicking and screaming, to our first small group meeting back in the late 90s because I didn't know enough about the Bible. And I did not want to be outed as a biblical idiot. We got in there and they loved us right where we were. And we were the youngest in the group. Most of the families were three to five, six, seven years older than us, having children and doing life just that far ahead of us, spiritually that far ahead of us or farther in most cases. And we began to learn how to live as believers in Christ, how to really see faith lived out. We learned about the power of prayer. We learned how to deal with infertility. We learned how to deal with divorce and relational Meltdowns. We learned how to deal with parenting problems. We learned how to deal with our own marital issues. Just doing life together with those 10 or 12 other people in that small group. We met every other Sunday for two hours. But those became our best friends. We still have deep personal connections with five of those families. 16, 15 years removed. Some of our very best friends, we met Jim and Randy in that, in that relational connection of those home-based small groups. Some of you are mentally going nuts right now. You're like, but Todd, we don't, have, we don't have a small groups ministry. Why are you talking about home-based small groups? We don't have those here. You're right. I'm glad you're already going crazy about that and you want me to answer that question. We aren't starting them today, if that's what you're thinking. But I do want to let you know that Elevation Church has small group connection opportunities for you. We have fellowship relational opportunities in that small group scene. Our ladies' nights every month are an opportunity for the women of the church to come together to get to know each other on a deeper level, to have real authentic conversations, to pray for one another, to, in confidence, share what's going on in their lives to be real, to talk about their parenting problems or their marital challenges, to talk about where they are in their careers and their relationships. To to real be real and honest about all that stuff is, is hard at a bigger group, but in that smaller group, I know that stuff is happening. Not because Trina comes home and tells me because she doesn't, like then tell me the details. She just tells me it is happening. And so I'm glad that you ladies that are participating in that are getting that. Men, we have those opportunities. We don't do it every month. But we do have men's relational connection opportunities. The last one we did was back in March when we did the uh, men's uh, night at at Eagle Gun Range. We got in there and had a blast. That's a pun. Um, I wasn't even trying to get a laugh out of that one. No cue cards. They get me now. All right, so we had a great time. And I got to meet some people and shake some hands and get to know some people. Maybe not quite on the same level that if we did that frequently, but the connections were begun. We've gathered before for breakfast meetings, Bible studies, things like that. As guys, we've done, we did a hog hunt back in 2011. That was fun. You talk about a relational opportunity, get a bunch of guys with guns and a campfire and meet. That's all we need. We don't even have to talk. We can just sit around and grunt and we get each other, Okay. I know there's a couple of guys in the church who ride in a motorcycle ministry. If you're a motorcycle guy, dude, you need to talk, you, you know what? Scott's back there, he's hiding. But you need to talk to Scott and you need to talk to Pastor Nick. These are guys who that, that's something they do to connect. And see, here's the thing, the church doesn't have to program all of these small group relational activities, once you make those connections at the larger group level, at the intermediate group level, and maybe once or twice at that smaller group level, then you can make those connections on your own. You can call each other up. Let's go grab lunch. Hey, let's start doing a Bible study together. Let's meet at, at IHOP at 6 a.m. On, on Friday mornings. And that way we don't ever steal time from our families. We can go to work right after. But let's do it as men. Let's let's do this. Let's connect. As ladies, you can do these mommy groups and play groups and and professional groups where you connect about your your, uh, careers and do all these things. Have that connection, that fellowship. This is what they were doing. They met daily in the temple courts and from house to house. And they built relationships with each other. Elevation Church will continue as we grow larger to find ways to ensure that we never stop growing smaller at the same time. It's critical. As we grow larger as a church, we must have opportunities to grow smaller in relational connection, to grow smaller in fellowship relationships. We will continue to do that at every step of the way. And we will have home-based small groups probably in the not-too-distant future. I have a number in mind that when we consistently hit this number in attendance here on Sunday mornings, when the church gathers that much steam, that's the time that the Lord has put on my heart when we should launch into small groups and homes, something that's more official. And we're close. Where was I? Ah, I know where I am. I'm off the reservation. I'm out of the notes. We've connected shoulder to shoulder. We've connected the the hand to hand, the face to face. The small group connection is the heart to heart, where you get to know each other in that real and authentic way. But there's another connection that's talked about in this passage. There's fellowship beyond the fellowship of the believers with the believers, there's a fellowship with our Lord. Talks about breaking bread in verse 42. Talks about it again, a little further down. Says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread in verse 42. And in verse 46, it says they broke bread together in their homes. When it talks about breaking bread, I think the Bible's talking about them eating together and doing life, but I think it's also talking about us participating in the Lord's Supper where Jesus took the bread on the Passover feast celebration and he broke the bread and he gave the bread to his followers. And he said, this is, the, this is my, my body and it's broken for you. And he followed it with the cup, with the wine and he took the wine and he, he blessed it and he, he gave it to his followers said, drink of this cup. This is the blood of the new covenant. This is my blood. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. That's what he taught his disciples. Do this, the apostles, do this in remembrance of me. And I think in this passage, it's something that we can't miss as the church today. The participating in, the breaking of bread, the remembrance of the sacrifice, not that Jesus made, but that Jesus was and is. It's the sacrifice to pay the penalty for your sins and for mine. His body was broken. His blood was spilled so that we wouldn't have to go through the hell that He did. He took our place and took our penalty. And He rose again and gave us life, real life, now and for eternity. But He told us to participate in this in remembrance of Him. So this morning, we're going to participate almost set my Bible on that drum. I bet that made Cody nervous. We're going to participate in the breaking of bread and the taking of the Lord's Supper. Before we do, let me share something with you about the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a ritual. It's symbolic. And it's a ritual or a symbolic participation thing for the church. It's for believers in Jesus. The family. If you're In the family this morning, if you're a follower of Christ, submitted your life to Him, we want you to participate in this with us. If you're not, if you're kicking the tires, checking it out, all of that, no sweat. That's cool. As the basket with the elements goes around in a moment, just pass it on. Just pass it on. Nobody's going to look down their nose at you. It doesn't identify you as, you know, weird outsider or anything like that. Just pass the basket on. No big deal. But if you are a believer, if you are in the body of Christ this morning. If you are the church, this is your opportunity to do what Jesus said, to do this in remembrance of me. And when we do this in remembrance of him, we're not just eating bread and sipping juice. It's not just a little, you know, chomp, snack. It's a solemn moment. It's a solemn act of getting outside of yourself And looking at the reality of who Jesus is, of what Jesus has done for you, He's given you real, meaningful, true, authentic life. This is your opportunity to fellowship with Him, to participate in the sacrifice that He made with the body and the blood of Christ. Everything that Jesus did and everything that you are and that you have because of the gift, because of the sacrifice that he made. Do this in remembrance of him.